Even in their hardest moments, these ordinary men and women found courage from God to step up and act. Abram courageously left it all behind to become the father of a nation. Regardless of any doubt or fear, Joshua stepped up to lead the Israelites after Moses passed away. In an act of bravery, Deborah, wife, prophetess, and judge helped lead 10,000 men into battle. David stepped up and took down a giant. Even the most battle-worn soldiers were too afraid to fight. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up for their faith, even when it meant being thrown into fire. Hannah courageously prayed for a child, regardless of what anyone else thought. Nehemiah boldly rebuilt Jerusalem's walls despite opposition from his own people. When her people were on the brink of genocide, Esther risked her own life to save them. In the hardest moments, God gives that same courage to us. You can stand up or stand down, step up or step back. When the moment arises, will you face the fear or turn away? Well, I want to welcome everybody here today, here in the room, also everybody watching us on the stream and on TV, all around New Mexico and in Belize. We're so grateful that you're a part of the Sagebrush family. Well, if you remember, last week we looked at how Peter and John had compassion over a man who had been crippled for 40 years. In fact, he had been crippled since birth. And we said if we want to escape an ordinary life, we have to be the kind of people who see a need and then we meet the need. Every single room that we walk into, we should be asking ourselves, how can I be the hands and feet of Jesus? How can I serve somebody? Where is a need that is happening in this place where I can go and I can meet that need? Remember, we talked about the fact that we want to move from doing acts of service to being a servant. Anybody can do acts of service from time to time, but Jesus has called us to live the life of being a servant. In every situation, in every environment, we are looking for needs and then we use what God has given us to be a blessing to other people. I read a story this past week about a lawyer by the name of Dale who decided to volunteer at a soup kitchen in Florida. Well, Dale showed up every day in his three-piece suit to help from 11 o'clock in the morning till 1.30 in the afternoon. And they assigned Dale door duty, and his job was to make sure the street people lining up would wait in line in an orderly fashion. So every day he would stand there at the door, he would chat with the street people who were waiting to eat. Well, Dale said, before I started serving food at the soup kitchen, street people had a meaningless term. It just defined a group of people without really defining anybody in particular. So from the comfort of his car or from his nice home or from his downtown law office, street people were just those people out there somewhere. Well, then one day he met a woman by the name of Helen. She came running up to the door of the soup kitchen. A man was chasing after her and threatened to kill her if she didn't give him back his dollar. Well, after 20 minutes of talking between the two of them, Dale brought peace to the situation by giving each of them a dollar. Well, that evening, Dale happened to be standing on the corner of Park and Monroe, and in the red twilight, he spied a lonely silhouette struggling on the sidewalk. And as he watched the person, he saw that she wore a red scarf and had on mismatched shoes. Well, he recognized her. It was Helen looking for a place to spend the night, probably under a bush or under an overpass. 
So Dale went home. He went home to sleep in his $3,500 deluxe temperature controlled bed. But he couldn't sleep. A voice kept asking him the question, where's Helen sleeping tonight? Dale said, no street person had ever interfered with my sleep before. Before I saw that shadowy figure with the red scarf and the mismatched shoes. Before that person had followed me home in my mind. You see, I'd made a fatal mistake. I learned her name. Listen, it's, it's easy to say that we are compassionate people. But do you have any names? Peter sees this person. And Peter realizes that this person is loved by God. This is someone's son. Peter realizes that this person matters greatly to God. And if they matter greatly to God, they should matter greatly to us as well. Friends, if we don't have action, then we don't have compassion. <laughs> Let me say that again because that was pretty good. If we don't have action, then we really don't have compassion. Because the measure of compassion is not how you feel, it's what you do. And when the Holy Spirit is in your life, he doesn't just break your heart, he moves your muscles. A person with compassion sees a need and then they meet the need. Peter says to the crippled man, I don't, I don't have any money, but what I have I'm going to give to you. In the name of Jesus, walk. And the man did. Now, can you imagine the scene in your mind? Peter takes him by the hand and lifts him up. And legs that were once weak, legs that were once crippled are now strong and straight. Legs that couldn't walk are now dancing up and down the street. I mean, the Bible says he's leaping and jumping and he's praising God. What a moment that must have been. People start to come from all around to see what in the world is happening. And they all noticed the same crippled beggar that they had passed by day after day was no longer crippled. And they're scratching their heads and they're wondering, how in the world could this be? Well, I love Peter. Because all through the book of Acts, when a crowd gathers together, he always proclaims Jesus. So Peter sees an opportunity to tell the crowd all about Jesus. And with great boldness, he proclaims that the reason this man is walking is because of the power of Jesus Christ. Peter says to the crowd, you remember Jesus, don't you? He's the one you cried out to be crucified. Jesus' crucifixion has taken place less than two months earlier. These people listening to Peter were the same people who lined the streets and begged for Jesus to be killed. These are the same people who mocked Jesus and spit on him and taunted him and hung him from the cross. Look at what verse 15 says. Peter says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We're witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and now was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you all can see. Peter goes on to tell the crowd, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now, now while Peter was saying all of this, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them. They were greatly disturbed, the Bible says, because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming that Jesus had risen again from the dead. 
Now, back then, there were two different religious groups that existed. You need to be familiar with them if you're going to understand the Bible. There was the Pharisees and there was the Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees were the ultra-conservatives. They were the legalists of the day. You do this, and you stay away from that, and you do the do's, and you don't do the don'ts, and if you do those things, then you'll be a holy person. They took the Ten Commandments. You know the Ten Commandments, right? Honor your father and mother. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. How about this one? Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Here's what they would do. They would take one law of the Ten Commandments, and they would take that law, and they would make a long list of do's and don'ts. And so if you did the do's and you stayed away from the don'ts, then you were a holy person. So they took something that was really good, like the Ten Commandments. Can you imagine we live in a world where everybody obeys the Ten Commandments, and then they added all these rules, and they made it a burden. Let's take, for example, the commandment of honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy. Now, that word Sabbath is a word that actually means stop. God wants his people to stop working and start resting one day a week just to focus on the Lord. But the Pharisees took something that was good and they made it bad. They made it a burden. Let me give you some examples. The Pharisees said on the Sabbath, you weren't allowed to dip a radish in salt because it would cause the radish to pickle. And if the radish pickled, then you'd be guilty of causing the radish to work. Yes, friends, that's what they said. I'm not making that up. Pharisees said on the Sabbath, you can't throw an object in the air and catch it with the other hand because that would be considered work. But you could throw an object in the air and catch it with the same hand. They did not consider that to be work. The Pharisees would have hated baseball, don't you think? I read a book by John Weiss, and he said Pharisees exist even today. You've probably met them. They're so full of do's and don'ts, and they're hypocritical and judgmental, and they look at you with great disgust. He said, oh, yeah, Pharisees still exist to this day. We've all met them. John was in line at a grocery store getting ready to check out when another man in another checkout line shouted across the lines. This is what he said to John. He said, a church without a pulpit is a church without God. Let me say that again. A church without a pulpit is a church without God. I guess he thought that the church is about a pulpit rather than about the people. A church without a pulpit is a church without God. Well, John looked at the man. Without missing a beat, when you have crystal clarity, when the words just come to you at just the right time, he looked at the man and said, I'm so glad Jesus had 12 friends to help him carry his wooden pulpit all over Israel. What a great comeback. Friends, that's a Pharisee. They take the joy out of following Jesus. And then the Sadducees, they were the liberal group. They, they didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. That made them sad, you see. That's as good as the jokes are going to get today. These two groups of people opposed Peter and John, and they opposed them for two reasons. They didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. 
And they didn't like the fact that so many other people were believing that Jesus had risen again from the dead. And now they were following Peter and John and they were losing their power and they were losing their influence. Verse 3 says that they came upon Peter and John. They seized Peter and John. And they came upon him suddenly, but because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in jail? You don't, you don't need to raise your hand. You, you can put your hand. You don't need to raise your hand for that one. Is there a more miserable place on the face of the earth than jail? I know some of you are thinking your mother-in-law's house, but let's be serious. That's just a close second. This was the first time in the New Testament, that one of the disciples was thrown in jail. And jails are horrible places to be in. Just ask any of the folks who watch our services each week at the jails that we minister in. And just as a side note, for all of you who are watching this in jail, I want you to know something. God still loves you. God still has a plan for your life. God still has not given up on you, and we haven't given up on you either. And when you get out of jail, I hope you'll come to Sagebrush. I think you'll find a group of people who don't care where you've been. They just care about you. Let me share with you a story about Randy and how he got his life back together again after he was released from jail. Take a look at this. So if I was able to tell myself in our future, we're gonna be able to be serving through Christ, through Sagebrush Church, changing people's lives, you would not have believed that this was our future at all. No, you'd have probably punched me. <laughs> I thrived on people cowering. I've, I thrived on just the power, the control, the manipulation, ripping fathers out while their kids are seeing me rip them out of the house just because they owe money or something like that. The deal they kind of gave everyone was tell me how the drugs are getting into town and we can cut you a deal. The fact of everyone that I loved turned on me and flopped on me and I ended up being sold out. About 18 months, I think, uh, was the total I lasted on the run. I ended up back, back incarcerated. I ended up scuffling with a couple guards and I got put in the hole. I hit a point and realized my life is completely fake. Everyone around me is completely fake. They ha there's no justification for the hurt and the pain we were causing people. And I developed like a disgust for it. I got suicidal. I tried to hang myself repeatedly through a night. I woke up the next morning with the sheet still tied to my neck. I like come to and you can hear the tray doors slamming on the door in the pods, right? As they're trying to serve us breakfast through it. So I get my little breakfast tray, you know, and like I sit down and um, the only thing we had is a Bible in there. And I remember reading it and I felt like my future was the promised land, the green pastures, you know what I mean? And being isolated for eight months, just focusing only on God, it gave me a lot of chance to really go through who I am. There's no justification for the hurt and the pain we were causing people. And I developed like a disgust for it. Like my soul could no longer be a part of it. It was just ripping itself in another direction away from that sin and the evil. I did get released and sent here to Albuquerque, New Mexico to a rehab. While I was attending there, they used to take us to Sagebrush on Wednesday nights. So when I finally got to get to Sagebrush and I walked in the doors is when I felt all of his promises were gonna come true. Everything changed, oh, peace started growing inside me. I have a beautiful wife. I have 
two beautiful stepchildren. My daughter is back in my life again. I'm a business owner and I serve through Christ to help other people in their active addictions and struggling in marriages. I can finally say that like, I love who I am today and I love where I'm at and I love how my life is. I feel like I just got to the point where God was like, I'm tired of this. Like, he still has not let me give up on myself. It's amazing what God did through Randy's life and continues to do. Well, guess what? Peter and John spend the night in jail, uncertain as to what their future is going to hold. And the Bible says the next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. Now, let me ask, let me ask you a question. Do you recognize a couple of the names in those verses? Because I recognize Annas and I recognize Caiaphas because they were the two men who were responsible for having Jesus killed. Do you remember that? They were the ones who rallied the crowd together to cry out for Jesus to be crucified. And even though Pontius Pilate was looking for some kind of way to get Jesus out of crucifixion, they were the ones that inside the crowd again and again and again crucify him crucify him so get the scene Peter and John are brought before the same two people who had been instrumental in the death of Jesus some 50 days earlier now I don't know about you but that would have scared the spit out of me the whole setting was set up to intimidate them look at verse 7 they had Peter and John brought before them and they began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Translation. Who in the world do you think you are? And then I love what the Bible says. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Peter says, let, let me get this straight. You, you, put us, you put us in jail for a night, and you call us in here and you question us because we were kind to a crippled man. Is this is what you want to know about? You want to know what power we do this by? It is by the name of Jesus whom you crucified. Did he just say what I think he just said? Whom you crucified? Did he just say that? Let me ask you a question. Where do you think the courage came from Peter to say something like this? Because the Peter that I know in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's kind of a chicken, isn't he? I mean, come on. Peter was the one who told Jesus, I'll lay down my life for you. But then when the Garden of Gethsemane comes and the high priests and the Roman soldiers come to take Jesus away, what does Peter do? He runs away and leaves Jesus to face his execution on his own. Peter was the one who said, hey, Jesus, I'll never deny knowing you. After Jesus said, you'll deny me not once, not twice, but three times. He said, oh, no, no, no. Everybody else might deny knowing you, but I'll never deny knowing you. And of course, you know the story. 
You know, as he was warming himself by the fire, as Jesus was being taken from one trial to another trial to another trial, that Peter was asked the question again and again, aren't you one of his disciples? And he denied Jesus three times. Peter was also the one who hid after Jesus died in the upper room. And he was afraid. And why was he afraid? He was certain that he was going to be thrown in jail. Or that he was going to be crucified just as Jesus was crucified. But now all of a sudden he's out on the streets proclaiming that Jesus has risen from the dead. Come on, we got to ask ourselves a question. What in the world happened to Peter? Where did the courage and the boldness come from? Well, I think there's two reasons for the change. One, he saw Peter, he, Peter saw Jesus after he rose again from the dead. He had conversations with the resurrected Jesus. Listen, he didn't wonder whether Jesus had risen from the dead. He knew that Jesus had risen from the dead. And seeing his master come back from the dead caused him not to fear death anymore. And let me tell you something, friends. When you don't fear death anymore, you got nothing to be afraid of. Peter was also filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Remember in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples like tongues of fire? He's not the same man he once was. And those of you who asked Jesus to come in your life and you now have the Holy Spirit living in you, you're not the same person that you once were, are you? Peter is completely dependent upon the Spirit of God that lived inside of him. Now look at Luke chapter 12 verse 11 because Jesus predicted what would happen on this day. Jesus said, when you're brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, don't worry about how you'll defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. You ever been in that situation where you don't know what to say, you don't know what to what, the words just won't come out, and then all of a sudden you say something that's so intelligent that answers the question, and you're like, what just happened? Where did that come from? That's the Holy Spirit of God speaking through you. Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, that lives in you and me. The same Holy Spirit that was in Moses that helped him part the Red Sea. The same Holy Spirit that shut the mouths of the lions. The same Holy Spirit that gave comfort to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the same Holy Spirit that lives in you and lives in me. Well, look at what he he says next, he says, salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now, this got Peter in some trouble. He's looking at the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says, you want to be saved? You want to have eternal life? There's no other name. It is the name of Jesus. He is the only way to get to God the Father. And that got Peter in a lot of trouble. Let me, let me let you on a little secret. You say the same thing in the culture we live in today, it's gonna get you in a lot of trouble too. People say, oh, it's narrow-minded. You hear this, right? It's narrow-minded to say that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. Are you telling me all these billions of people who are sincere about what they believe are sincerely wrong? How many times in your lifetime have you heard, hey man, when you boil down all these world religions into one thing, they basically just say the all the same thing. Friends, they do not say the same thing. Let me give you examples. Islam says that Jesus wasn't crucified. Christians 
say he was. Both can't be right. Either he was crucified or he wasn't crucified. They're not saying the same thing. Judaism refuses to claim that Jesus is the Messiah. But Christians say that Jesus is the Messiah. Someone's making a mistake. He either is the Messiah or he isn't the Messiah. They're not saying the same thing. Buddhist, they look toward nirvana, achieved at no less than 547 reincarnations to get to the ultimate state of enlightenment. Yes, friends, you get to come back 547 times. Middle school, 547 times. But Christians believe there's one life, one death, and an eternity in either heaven or hell. They're not saying the same thing. Hinduism says everything's God. You're God, I'm God, the chair's a God, microphone's a God. Christianity, though, says that there's one God. One God eternally existing in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Somebody's wrong, friends. Because they're not saying the same thing. Peter says salvation is found in nobody else. There's only one who's conquered sin, only one who's conquered death, only one who's conquered the grave. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't say, I am one of many ways, I am one of many truths. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God the Father except through me. Now, here's what's interesting. When these guys see the courage of Peter and John and they realize these guys are just unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And these men might have looked ordinary on the outside. There's nothing ordinary about them. They'd been with Jesus. They walked with him. They talked with him. They leaned on him for everything in their life. They knew the situation was desperate and they were desperate for him. Leaders don't know what to do. Well, what do you do with these two guys who are so bold, so courageous? They don't know what to do with Peter and John. So they have a little meeting and they decide that the best course of action is to threaten them to never speak in the name of Jesus ever again. But Peter and John said, judge for yourself whether it's right to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. I don't know about you. I don't, think, I don't think that would have been my response. I mean, they're getting ready to let me go. They're letting me be free. I don't think I would have said that. I'd have probably said, hey, man, sorry for the trouble. Hey, we'll be more careful next time. We won't use his name in public anymore. But that wasn't an option for these guys. You see, there comes a point in every person's life where you and I got to decide, who are we really trying to live to please? Friends, why, why aren't we as bold as Peter and John? It's rare to meet someone who's as bold as these two men. I think it's because we still care more about what others think of us. I mean, in our minds, if we're bold for Jesus, let, let's say you get bold for Jesus on social media. 
because so few of you follow us on social media, so few of you share our content on social media. I don't know if you don't want it to show up on your page. I guess it might be because you're afraid of what all these followers are gonna think of you because you might lose some likes, right? You might lose some followers. You, you might not have as many people follow you anymore. You know what's really sad? Is that some of us are more concerned with having followers on social media than actually following Jesus. If you and I share Jesus with other people and we do it with gentleness and respect, it is rare to be yelled at or lose a friendship over. Most people, if you'll listen to them, guess what? They'll listen to you as well. When I get intimidated, I think about our fellow brothers and sisters overseas who are persecuted for living for Jesus. A few years ago, North Korea executed three leaders of the underground church. Did you know that? It wasn't reported on in the news. They jailed another 20 Christians, according to the Asian news. And the 20 believers who were jailed, they were sent to the infamous prison labor camp number 15 in Yodok. The Associated Press recently reported that a 33-year-old woman, Christian woman, she was accused by North Korea for distributing Bibles and spying for foreign countries. She was publicly executed on the streets of North Korea. Open Doors, a ministry that follows the persecuted church worldwide, has ranked North Korea as the number one persecutor of Christians for nine straight years. The way these North Korean Christians live out their faith is eye-opening. These persecuted Christians have no church building, no paid pastors, but man, do they know the word of God, and do they know Jesus. In North Korea, Christians memorize Bible verses, passages of scripture, and they live out the word of God. And all the members of each little small group, they take turns preaching for their Sunday service with the speaker teaching the verses that they've memorized by heart. And every family, you ready for this, holds daily worship services in their home and the family sings songs and shares messages from memory. Even the kids take a turn. We could learn an awful lot from them, couldn't we? My goodness, what if moms and dads gathered with their kids and they did a family devotional and they spent some time praying with their kids and over their kids? And what if we allowed our kids to lead us in this as well? Why, why do these people keep meeting together in North Korea? Why do, why do they risk their lives for God every single day? It's because Jesus means more to them than anything else. And they understand that there really is a heaven and there really is a hell. People really are gonna go to one place or the other and they understand how brief this life on earth really is. Well, the leaders released Peter and John and the Bible tells us that they went immediately back to the church and the church was praying. And I want you to see what the church prayed for after they were released. They said, now Lord, consider what these, these threats and enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's an amazing prayer, isn't it? Because they didn't pray for safety. They didn't pray for security. They didn't ask God to shelter them from the world. They prayed for boldness. And they prayed for courage. Now here's the question that I want to leave you with. What step do you need to take that you've been too fearful to take? 
because some of you have been watching me on TV, some of you have been sitting here in the services, and you know you need to ask Jesus Christ to be the leader and forgiver of your life, and you know enough to know that he is the Messiah, he is the one who, who died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the dead. You know you need to go to the first steps room. You know you need to call us or you need to text us, but you're so afraid of what everyone else is gonna say. It's time for you to be bold. It's time for you to be courageous. Maybe you need to be baptized, but you are scared to death to stand in front of a bunch of Christians. If I said it once, I'll say it again. We've never booed a baptism. Never been a time when someone's been in the baptistry. Boo! Boo! I can't believe they're getting baptized. Now, this is a place where you'll be encouraged, where we'll cheer you on. How can you be afraid of that? Maybe you just need to have a conversation with a friend that you've been scared to death to have because you, don't, you, you understand today what's at stake. And putting that conversation off isn't going to help anything. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to spend a moment reflecting and praying and thanking God for what he's done in our life. So would you just do this with me? Would you bow your head for just a few moments and just spend a few minutes just thanking God for all that he's done and then just ask him the question, what would you have me do for you? How can I be your hands and feet? What needs am I missing that I could make a difference in? Let's all bow our heads, close our eyes. Let's have that moment of silence and let's talk to God. Lord, give us boldness and give us courage. We've been putting off the things that we know we need to do. And your word says anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, he sins. So many of us, Lord, today, we need to ask you into our life. We need to have that conversation. We need to send that text message, make that phone call, stop by the first steps room. Give us boldness, give us courage. Many of us, Lord, putting off our baptism. We say that we love you, that we'll obey you, we'll follow you, but we are ignoring the very first commandment that you give us after we become followers of yours. We're too afraid to get in that tank. Lord, I pray that that would end today. Give us boldness. Give us courage to get into that small group, to serve in that ministry, to be your hands and your feet, to be servants, to see needs and to meet needs and to share your truth with, with the dignity and with respect and with gentleness. God, use us. May we be the light of the world and the salt of the earth for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.